0: Evelyn Taylor went to Heavenly Donuts one morning and she ordered her coffee and then she decided to do something really insane. She decided to pay for the order that was coming right behind her in the car in the drive through lane. Well, that family was so flabbergasted by what happened, they paid for the family that was coming behind them. And this went on, paying it backwards, one after the other, for two and a half hours. 55 people participated in this process of giving generously to a stranger. And it so moved, this lady, um, Eileen Taylor, that every Saturday since then, she goes to Heavenly Donuts in Massachusetts, she orders a cup of coffee, and she pays for the person next in line. God does amazing things in our lives through what he's given to us. And there's a lot of ways you can use money. It's, it's, it's fun to earn it. It's a lot of fun to spend it. But nothing compares to the joy of giving it. And so I want to spend some time today talking about that. I know for some people, they feel that, that this can be an, an uncomfortable subject. But to be honest, it's a liberating subject. It's a, it's a beautiful truth that God gives us in Scripture that great joy comes in the process of giving. You know, our culture tries to flip that on us because businesses have a name for us. They have a name for all of you in this room. You are called consumers consumers. And you know, we've, we say, okay, I'm a consumer. You know what a consumer is? Someone who devours, who eats, who uses up stuff. I don't want to have my reputation to be known that, that I just consumed. I'd rather be known as a contributor, someone who gave something back. We were made to give back. When we just sang that song, I mean, you just think of all of creation. What does the sun do for us? It constantly gives light. It constantly gives warmth. When you think of the, the ocean and the, the rivers, what do they give to us? They're constantly renewing things and giving us refreshment. You think of the flowers that give their aroma, and they, they look beautiful, they smell beautiful. They're always giving off. God gave creation to be givers, and God has given us so much. But, but there's a problem. When we start to hold on to things and we squelch things, we begin to die. I bet when you woke up this morning, you didn't probably think of it, but... The first breath you took when you were awake was a gift from God. Every breath you've been taking since is a a gift from God. You probably treasure that. So I'm going to ask you to do something, a little experiment here. I want you to, to, to really love that gift God has given you in that breath. So inhale as much as you can and then just hold it, okay? Just hold it. Now, I'm not going to hold mine because I'm going to keep talking. But hold it as long as you can. But I want to tell you, there's going to come a moment very shortly when you're going to give it back because you were not made to keep that breath. You are made to give it out. In fact, if you keep that breath and hold on to it and never give it out, you will die. There's a spiritual principle that God embedded in us that life is found in giving, that we were made. We we're like a plant that was planted. Some of you may have read in Luke just recently the story that Jesus told about a fig tree. A man came and looked at this fig tree that was three years old, and every year when he came back, it just never produced figs, and he finally told his gardener, cut that thing down. Because all it's doing is using up the nutrients of the soil. We weren't made to just consume. We were made to give. Jesus said in John 15 that if you're a branch that bears no fruit, you'll be, you'll be cut off. You'll be no good for anything than to be kindling in the, in the fire. So we were made to give, to be a blessing to other people. That's how God wired us individually. Jesus told us that if you want to find life, here's how you find it. Give your life away. And that's what Jesus did. He came, gave his life for us, gave it on a cross. And the process has given us so many other things. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us grace. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us purpose. He's given us wisdom. He's given us hope. He's given so many things to us, He continually pours out to us. And so I want to look at this whole process because God wants us to be like him. And we're never more like God than when we're generous. Where does it all begin? I believe it starts in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. From the start, God made us to be stewards. Think of Adam and Eve when they were placed in the garden. They were given a duty to manage all of the the garden there. And God gave them both a privilege and a responsibility. We find this in Genesis chapter 2. God says in verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. The privilege, you can surely eat of every tree in the garden. Responsibility, oh, but one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's hundreds, if not thousands of fruit-producing trees. Have at it. Enjoy it. It's yours. But there's one tree over here. This tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's for me. It's not for you. Well, what did Adam and Eve think? You'd think they'd be so grateful. That's okay, Lord. I've got hundreds to choose from. I like all these other trees. There's so many variety. I like it all. But Satan came around whispering a lie in their head that maybe God was withholding something from them. Maybe God really wasn't good. Maybe that tree there really has something we need. See, it never says that that tree was a bad tree. In fact, it sounds like a pretty good tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil sounds pretty good to me. But it's off limits. It wasn't a bad tree. It was the banned tree. It's off limits. It's not yours. It's for God. And Adam and Eve chose to act like owners instead of stewards. Steward says, it's your stuff. I'll do with it as you please. An owner says, it's mine. I'll do with it as I please. And so they did as owners did. They went and said, we're going to eat from that tree. And when they did, they ushered in a wave of sin that has not stopped since the Garden of Eden. See, God, God sets things aside in our lives and says, trust me. Trust me. That part is mine. I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to bless you. But you don't need all of it. And that's this idea of the first fruits that you just saw in the video of giving the first part back to God. It's believing God is good. It's believing that God has more in store. It's believing that, that the same God who provided what you have will continue to provide. It's, it's, not, it's not at all thinking that must be the God who's trying to, to deprive me of something. It's the God who's trying to trick me into giving something that's really mine. No, God wants to bless us. So it started there in the garden, and then it continued all through the Old Testament. We find it in this thing called tithing. Now, it's very similar to first fruits. Tithing is giving the first 10% of what God gives to us. Tithing tests the heart. It tests the heart. Rabbi Daniel Lapin, a Jewish rabbi, says, tradition um, says that in the Jewish laws, the commands were given to shape the human heart. For example, The laws that said to treat animals with kindness weren't weren't simply because animals were important. In fact, that that was secondary. The first thing was, by doing so, you are becoming a kinder person. And studies have shown that people who are cruel to animals eventually become cruel to people. So how we behave shapes our heart. And he says that when you become generous, when you give to God first, you give to God the best, it makes you a more generous person. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better parent, a better child, a better employee, a better citizen. It just makes you a better person. And then he, and then he says this, which I think is pretty ironic. You might think that you would rather find a less expensive way to adjust your internal mood, but good luck. Meaning you might think, Oh God, make me a more more kind, generous person some other way than by giving my stuff away. He says, No, this is the best way to do it. Because every time you give, you're saying, I'm not so attached to that stuff anymore. I, I I'm I can let it go. I'm not me centered. I'm God centered. So it does something to our hearts. And so God commanded his people in the Old Testament to to do this thing called tithing, because tithing recognizes it comes from God. He's the source gives it to me, but it's not just for me. It, then it goes to help other people, people in ministry, people that are poor, people that are in need, in a lot of different ways that God uses that. But, but what's, what's interesting is all through the history, the Israelites struggled to do this. And all through church history, Christians have struggled to do this. In fact, less than 5% of Christians honor God with a tithe because it's not easy. It's hard to do. It requires sacrifices on our part. And yet, we need to know this, that if every person that calls himself a Christian in the United States tithe, we would have $139 billion more every year to give to missions, to give to the poor, to alleviate world problems, to start churches, do all sorts of things. Maybe maybe to bring it more to home, if even our church tithed, if every family that calls Pikes Peak Christian Church their home church, if they tithed, we not only would meet our, our budget, we would actually pay off our $4 million debt on our property in one year in one year. So so God has provided. He's just waiting for us to trust him. He's waiting for us to trust him and believe that God has been good and God will be even better. In Malachi chapter 3, this is the famous tithing passage. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Tithing tests our heart, but at the same time, it's a test for God. Tithing tests us whether we trust God, but tithing is also a way we say, God, are you faithful to your promises? And what was happening here in the book of Malachi that the prophet is addressing is people started to kind of work their own plan. They actually, you can read this in the book of Malachi, they were giving God the lame, the sick lambs. It was as if God, um, I don't want this one, so can I give it to you? (laughs) It's it's giving God not, not just leftovers, but the worst part of what you had. And God didn't settle for it. In fact, God calls them thieves because they're stealing from God from what he's given. So he says, bring the full tithe, not a part of it, bring the whole tithe back into the storehouse and here's what I'll do. Test me in this. And I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing. And see, God promises to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine as we trust him. As we trust him. And I'd love to, to make a deal with you and tell you that if you would give to God, you could start keeping a record of all the ways God blesses you. Now, I believe God will bless you. I believe, I believe God will bless you. It may not show up tomorrow, it may not show up next week, but over the course of time, you'll find your life incredibly blessed. But I do know this. We have enough reason to give to God already because we are so blessed. I mean, When I think of the Old Testament people, and I think of, of what they went through and what they didn't have that I have, um, I have so much more than they have. I was reading this book Barry Dodson gave me for my birthday last fall called Blue Like Jazz. It's written by a young man, actually young at the time. His name was Donald Miller. Heavy man, 387 pounds, confused in his faith, trying to navigate his way through adult life, uh, afraid of dating, um, very self-conscious. And so he shares in this book just his growth in understanding how to live life as a Christian. Well, he has a friend named Kurt, and they're hanging out one night, and they're reading... Um, a book, and, or they're watching a, not reading a book there, my water, my water's dripping here, so I got water on my book, that's why I thought of that, they're actually watching a, a TV show, and Kurt, who works at a cabinet shop, is a, is kind of an earthy man, he uses colorful language, if you know what I mean, likes to tell jokes that you probably shouldn't tell at church, and so uh, he just moans about, man, I wish I got paid more so I could afford to get a motorcycle. And Don remembers that there was a jar sitting in his bedroom dresser that's filled with bills. So he tells his friend, Kurt, Kurt, you've got the money for your motorcycle right there on your dresser. Use that. And Kurt says, can't. He says, why? Can't. He says, why? Isn't mine. Isn't yours, Miller asked. Who in the world is storing their savings on your dresser? Well... He smiled, sort of embarrassed. It's God's. God's? Yeah, that's my tithe, he shouted back. See, every time he got a paycheck, he would go down to the bank, get 10% of what his paycheck was for, go back, and he'd stick it in that jar. So he hadn't been to church for a while, so he accumulated quite a large sum in his jar. Well, then Kurt turns to Donald Miller and says this, you tithed on He says, I just looked at him. I couldn't believe it. I was about to get a lecture on tithing from a guy who probably subscribed to Bikes and Babes magazine. (laughs) Well, Kurt, I guess I don't. After I said this, Kurt shook his head in disappointment. I started to feel real guilty. It's a shame, Don. It's a shame you're missing out. I've been tithing since I was a kid. Wouldn't miss a payment to save my life. Kurt went down two weeks later, turned all his money into the church secretary. More than $3,000. Donald says, I started feeling so guilty I went to talk to my pastor. Goes to see his pastor. He says, you know, I don't know if I should be doing this. Uh, I don't have any money. Everything goes to rent and groceries. His pastor says, it sounds like a tough situation. So I'm ex- exempt, he asked. Nope. <laughs> nope. How much, I asked. How much do you make? I don't know, about 1000 a month maybe. Then 100." dollars you, you need to know how much you make. Part of the benefit of giving a portion of your money, it makes you think about where your money goes. God does not want us to be sloppy with our finances, Don. But I need the money for rent, he said. You also need to trust God. I know, but I just think it'd be easier to trust God if I had extra money to trust him with. <laughs> the pastor said, now that wouldn't be faith, would it? So here's what he did. He said, next week I emptied my checking account, which had about $8 in it, and I gave it to the church. Another check came a few days later, and I gave 10% of that to the church. And then I got another writing gig with a magazine in Atlanta, and then I deposited that check into my account, and I, and I wrote a check to the church. One after another, I started getting called to speak at retreats and conferences that usually pay pretty well, and each time I would write a check to the church. Since then, since that conversation with Rick, I've given at least 10% of every dollar I make, just like Kirk, and I've never not had rent. For more than a year, my checking account had hovered at or dipped just over or under zero, and suddenly I had money to spare. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who said, you know what, we started to trust God in this way, and how God began to work to orchestrate things in their lives. God challenges us to trust him. It's a test of our heart. Do we believe that God will keep his promise to us if we honor him with the first of what he's given to us? It's a promise of Scripture. And over and over again, I hear the testimonies that, yes, indeed, God is faithful. But the goal isn't tithing. That's why the title of this sermon is not, the goal is tithing. It's it's bigger than tithing. Because God's real goal is that we be generous. That we be generous. See, tithing, tithing is part of the Old Testament law. And sometimes people will wonder, well, didn't that all pass away when Jesus died? Didn't that all go go away. All those laws, Jesus fulfilled them. Aren't we living in the new age of of freedom? Well, yes and no. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial and the religious law, but many of the truths of the law are still intact. For example, none of us would probably say, well, we don't have to honor our mother and father because that's Old Testament law, right? We we don't have to stop making idols because that's Old Testament, There's so many things in the Old Testament that actually carry over, the principles carry over into the New Testament. Because tithing is part of the law, but it predates and postdates the law. So, for example, here's what it says in the law. In in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, every tithe of the land, whether it's of the seed of the land or fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. That word holy has a couple different meanings. It can mean morally pure, or it could mean consecrated or set apart. Now, if it means morally pure, it has to refer to people. Only people can be morally pure. Things aren't. So whenever the Bible talks about holy objects, holy garments, holy places, holy things, it's referring to things that are consecrated to God. They can be pretty mundane, but they're set apart for a special purpose. So dishes. Dishes can be holy. doesn't mean they're better dishes. doesn't mean they're morally pure dishes. It means these dishes are only used for what God wants them to be used for. So here's what God says. That first tithe, that first 10%, that's to be holy. That's to be different than everything else. That's to be set apart for me. Because that's what I want to use to extend my work on earth. So so God calls us to make that part or set that part aside as holy. But you know, this practice was before the law even. Abraham encountered a priest named Melchizedek and gave the tithe of his possessions to Melchizedek. His grandson, Jacob, had this dream from which the song Stairway to Heaven came from. He's seen these angels go up and down the staircase to heaven. And and he says, wow, this is such an incredible place. Made an altar to the Lord there. And then Jacob made a promise. And we can read this promise in the book of Genesis 28. Of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The law hadn't been written yet. He's not obeying a commandment. He's doing this because that's in his heart to do. It has been a practice of people to give generously like that. To the Lord. So, what about the New Testament? Does it carry over into the New Testament? Well, Jesus spoke of tithing on one occasion, and he spoke it as part of a, a rebuke to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying that tithing stuff you're doing, you are so meticulous about it that you tithe even of the spices, the flakes of seasonings. You're making sure that God gets a tenth of that. I can applaud you for that, but what I shame you for is the fact that you're not doing the weightier things. Giving justice and being faithful and being merciful. God says, keep doing what you're doing, but add this. Get on board with the bigger things. And see, Jesus Jesus never commanded tithing, and he never dismissed tithing, never told us not to do it. In fact, I would argue that Jesus always raises the bar. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, you see this. Jesus says, the the law said you shall not murder. I tell you, you should not curse a person, call them a fool, because so doing, you're, you're killing their soul. Jesus said, the law says thou shall not commit adultery. Here's what I tell you, don't even look at a woman lustfully. The law says to love your neighbor as yourself. I tell you, even pagans do that. Love your enemies. You notice what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount? He raised the bar. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in in chapter 5, verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you ought to live at a higher standard than they. You ought to be better than that. And so, how can we look at something like this, this tithing and say well that's Old Testament don't we have more reason I mean they, they look forward to forgiveness the sacrifices just promised them that one day true forgiveness would come I've received true forgiveness a billion things I've been forgiven of gone washed away I'm cleansed you know they used to watch God come in a, a, a pillar of, of, uh, of cloud by day and fire by night and they knew God was with them I live in a time where the Holy Spirit lives right in here. You know something they never had? They never had a printed Bible like we have. They couldn't go to bed and open up their Bible or pull up an app on their phone, read their Bible. They had to wait till the prophet spoke or the man of God spoke. You and I have scriptures available 24 hours a day at a, at a, at a snap of a finger. And on top of all that, I live in a time and I live in a nation that's considered by many the wealthiest that's ever existed. And I look at, at all that I have compared to what they had back in the Old Testament. Walk around in sandals on sandy soil. I mean, I look at, at the things I have. I have comfortable clothing, comfortable shoes. I, I have air conditioning and heating. I have, I have a car that zips me places real quickly. I have, I have health care. I have entertainment. Entertainment they knew nothing about. And if, and if they had a reason to say thank you to God, don't I have more? Don't you and I have more reason? See, I, I would love to tell you if, you if you give to God, you would be blessed. But I want to tell you, you should give to God because you're already blessed. And if you do, God says, I'll, I'll go far more abundantly beyond that. I'll open the floodgates of heaven for you. And so God wants to bless us through our obedience. But he wants to do something within our heart, and that is to make us generous. Tithing is the first big step to becoming generous. Generous. Now, my grandson makes every other sermon, it seems, but this is his little bicycle. Got it from his cousins. It has this cool thing in back. He went from a tricycle to this, training wheels. How many of you rode on training wheels when you were little? I did. I mean, the nice thing about training wheels is there's no fear. You can just pedal around, and you you never fall over. Can't go real fast. Can't go a lot of places, and you definitely don't look cool. But it's real helpful. But there comes a day when the training wheels are cast off. When the training wheels are cast off, you can go anywhere. You can zip to the left, you can zip to the right, you can keep up with your buddies. You can go a lot of places fast, and you can go a lot farther because you're not encumbered by the training wheels. And I, I was told once that tithing is kind of like training wheels for giving. See, it wasn't meant to be the end. It was meant to train us, to discipline us, to help us learn to trust God, to get our balance, get our financial stability, but then to go beyond that, that we would go farther in our giving, that we would actually go faster, that when God's Holy Spirit would prompt us, we would respond quickly to what he's wanting to do. Not just say, well, I did, my, I did what the Bible said in tithe, and I, I don't even have to think about it. Oh, God wants you to think about it. He wants us to think about it. Remember last week? He wants us to be rivers, not reservoirs. A river receives, and a river gives. And God has this process in our lives. A reservoir just accumulates, and the water becomes stagnant. God wants us to be rivers, and we, we do that by learning to give. In Luke chapter eight, uh, excuse me, Zacchaeus is a great example of what God does to your hearts when, when you get close to Jesus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors in biblical times ripped people off. They actually raised the taxes to a higher level so they could skim some of the profits. So Zacchaeus became very wealthy off other people, cheating other people. One day he's listening to Jesus, he's up in a tree, because he's a short dude, he's up in a tree listening to Jesus, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed, like, wow, yes, Jesus, come. And we don't know what all took place in that conversation with Jesus, but but we find Zacchaeus doing this. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. One of the signs of salvation was that Zacchaeus had let go of the thing that had been his God. So much so that he said, Half of what I'm going to give, not a tithe, half of what I have, I'm going to give it away to the poor. And the people that I cheated, I'm going to go back and pay them four times what I took. See, what happens in the New Testament, the reason you don't find a lot about tithing is people didn't stop at tithing. The widow that came and gave her last two coins, that wasn't a tithe. Jesus said that's all she had. We find people in the book of Acts that sold property, sold extra houses and land, and then brought that money so the church could distribute it to others that had need. See, what happens in your life is when God grabs a hold of it, something sparks, you become generous. I was surprised when I saw a statistic this week that 75% of people who tithe Don't stop at tithing. 75%. Three out of four people. It means that that they they enjoy tithing so much and become generous that they don't want to stop there. They're going further and faster. Because all of a sudden, God brings people into your life. Jeff Surratt, who's a pastor up in Denver, wrote an article on giving recently. And he said, Generosity opens up the soul. Generosity connects me with God. When I give away what I've worked so hard to earn, I begin to understand the gospel. I begin to experience the heart of God as he sees his son dying on a cross for me. Generosity is the key to the treasure chest of joy. When I give, I experience a taste of heaven. So it's generosity that God is after. And when you become generous, all of a sudden you hear the Holy Spirit prompting you to pay for someone's lunch. You see a soldier in line, and the Holy Spirit prompts you: go, go, go encourage that man. Tell him thank you for what he does and pay for his, his lunch. It, it prompts you to pay for the coffee in the person behind you. It, it, it has caused people to give cars away to someone in need. It's, it's caused a man in our church to receive a seven bedroom house from his boss for $600 a month because God had put it on his boss and wife's heart generosity is so beautiful. It is a fun adventure. Last year my wife came to me and Julie said, um, God's put in my heart to give a certain amount. It was, it was, it was much more than we tithe even. But she said, God, God wants us to give a, a, a check to this organization that, that blesses others in our community. And you know what? I used to be so tight and restrictive and I've just learned when God speaks to obey that I quickly said, you know honey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm totally on board with that. Let's do it. And it's a beautiful place to be in your life when you're not questioning every time someone asks you. We've had, we have a, a relative who went to Thailand on a mission trip, and she was raising support. And we quickly said, we want to get behind you and support you because God's put that on our heart. And the problem is many of us are, are in such financial um, hardship because of our debt and other things that, that we aren't in a position to respond when God would prompt us. Even if God would prompt us, we say, God, but I have nothing to give. And that's why it's important to manage resources well so we can get in the position. And part of getting in the position is starting by saying, God, I need to get the first thing in place, which is to honor you with the first and best because I want to eventually get to the place where I can be generous and respond to every situation you provide Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must decide or must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the truth. We're not gonna demand that anybody tithe and God isn't either. He just says how much do you wanna be blessed? Sow a little, reap a little. Sow a bunch, reap a bunch. It's up to you. God says, I don't, want you to, I, want, I don't want you to do it because someone twisted your arm. I don't want you to do it reluctantly. I want you to do it willingly and cheerfully. It's a beautiful thing when you can give cheerfully. I know every Sunday when we introduce the offering, a number of us cheer. Some of us give a little, little golf clap and some of us really, really hoot and holler. And, and the reason some of us get really excited because it is a beautiful thing to give back to God. We find joy in doing it. It's not phony. It's not phony, it's real. It is, it is a delight to give back to God because it breaks the grip of sinfulness and selfishness. Not only that, it allows me to receive more so I can give more to other people and that's the fun of being generous. You may wonder, but pastor, if I do all that, who's going to take care of my needs? That's a very good question. By the way, if you have questions, I I put a a link, an email link in your bulletin next week. I'm I'm just gonna answer questions about this series, not just today, but the last few weeks. Areas where you struggle with, maybe areas where you're having difficulty understanding God's will. Write the question, send it to askthepastor at yes2god.org, and uh, we'll take the most common questions and answer them next Sunday. But, But one of the questions is, if I give, how do I know my needs will be met? I just hold on to a promise in Scripture by faith. From Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, "And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." That's God's promise to you and to me. When you came in today, you received a bulletin and you received a card, and it's a response card to God's word, and this is simply given to you so that you can have something to, to talk over as a, a family or as a couple, if you're married, and say, "What does God want me to do in response to what I've been hearing?" And so, uh, during our offering time a little bit later, if you want to put in the offering, you can do it, but some of you probably need to go home first and pray about it. Talk to your spouse about it, because it may require changes in lifestyle if you're going to do what God wants you to do. And so, you want to make sure that, that you're doing the thing that you hear God telling you personally and his family to do. But on that, state, on that card, our four statements, I want to read those out loud. I want all of us to read those out loud, because really, they're a kind of a summary of the truths we've been hitting over these weeks. So... Um, Believing these four things. So Read this out loud with me. Believing, first, God owns everything we have. And believing that God requires us to faithfully steward what he's given. And believing that God is trusted and honored when we give. And believing God blesses us when we're generous like him. We commit the following. And you decide. Where you are, for some of you, giving regularly, the first part of what God gives you is the first step. Last week, there were 37 people, I was told from our finance um, director, 37 people gave for the first time this year. And I just want to applaud you. Because for some of you, that's a big step. This is a scary thing to start giving to God. I want to encourage you. Make that your commitment. God, I'm going to honor you with with the first part of what you give me every week. I'm going to do that. Or every paycheck, I'm going to start doing that. For some of you, it's a step up to tithing. I'm going to to go to that 10% mark. Kind of the, the, the baseline, the training wheels. I'm going to do that part. I feel God's been telling me for years, but this is the time to do that. And for some of you who've been tithing for a long time, maybe the question you need to be asked is, God, what, what's beyond that? Where do you want me to go in demonstrating generosity in our lives? Now, at the bottom of it, it's a place to sign your name and put a starting date and again, nobody's going to call you up, nobody's going to write you a, a mean letter or anything. This is more for accountability, saying, I, I want to do this, and I want to be held accountable for it. Not that someone's going to come and track me down, but that someone can pray for me. And, and I'll tell you, I will pray for you if you turn a card in with your name, and I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to put any dollar amounts. I don't care about that. I just want to know that you're responding to God. And maybe today's the day you respond and put that date down. Maybe it's next Sunday you respond you put that date down. Or maybe you said, I'm, I'm, I committed this seven years ago, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. So that was my start date. But we want to encourage you to respond to what God is saying to you in this series because there is incredible joy in giving. Now, one of the things that's helped me in this area is to give online. It's becoming a, a big thing in our culture. It's estimated that within five or six years, um, very rarely will anyone use a check. And it's very possible, some churches have already gone to this, where offering baskets aren't passed anymore, because half of the people have given online. They're not going to give a check. I only write probably one check a month. I give online, and I can set up recurring giving, so every time I get paid, I can, I can put in. And it's very easy. In your bulletin is simple steps. There's one step that's incorrect. I think the address is wrong, so this is the correct address. I believe that Bryce put on there, yes to godorg slash give, and you just follow the form, fill it out. It's really easy to do. For some of you who want to be consistent, that's a great way to say, God, I'm serious. I'm just gonna lock in every paycheck, at this date, Friday, and then every two weeks after, or whatever it is, I'm just gonna lock into that, and, uh, and I'm gonna be faithful to it. Now, I can't promise you that, that if you're faithful in this area with God, that next week you'll get a new job, big bonus, um, but I will tell you this. If you keep track over the course of time the physical and spiritual blessings, you will see God work in phenomenal ways. I can guarantee that. God works. It may be like seeds. When you plant a seed, you don't get the fruit of it the next day or the next week. But in the course of time, that single seed you planted grows a whole plant. And the seeds you plant in God's kingdom work are bound to produce great fruit for the kingdom, a fruit that will bless you and bless others.